And we ask that this morning we would literally have an experience with Jesus. That this wouldn't just be another Sunday where we get together. Pray that no Sunday would be like that. That the living God um, who loves us, who is passionate about us, who pursues us and forgives, um, that we would meet with you this morning. Spirit, we ask that you would fill us, that I would get out of the way, and we would be captivated by this amazing story of an amazing God who has an amazing love for his people. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said? It's a good amen. It's a good amen, guys. All right, so Luke, uh, Luke chapter 7, um, 36 through 50. I'm just going to read through the story to kind of acquaint us with it, and uh, we'll go from there. So Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owned 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So uh, in verse 36, we're kind of introduced to the first two characters in our story. Uh, we have Simon. He's a Pharisee. We have Jesus, who's the Savior. And these guys are trying to figure out what's going on with Jesus. At this point, Jesus is a couple of years, maybe a, maybe a year or so into his ministry, somewhere around there. And he's kind of a known teacher. Um, that's why the Pharisee is inviting him to his house. He wants to learn more about Jesus. He wants to figure out, you know, he mentions that he may be a prophet. They're trying to figure it out. Um, and, and Jesus has a radical message. Uh, his message is that God loves sinners. His message is that the kingdom of God is arriving on earth today. Um, he's kind of got this crazy message, and the Pharisees are like, well, maybe we can correct Jesus. Uh, There's certain things we like about him we can't deny. He's done some wild and crazy things. People are getting healed. Uh, you know, it's pretty crazy. Um, but they're like, maybe we can correct him because there's a lot we don't like about him. He doesn't really follow our rules. He doesn't really follow our traditions. In fact, he says he's superior, better than our traditions, and actually fulfills them. So they're kind of checking out Jesus, trying to figure out what's going on. They invite him over to a dinner party. Um, and that's kind of the Pharisee. And there's, in verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. 
So notice, too, that Jesus was invited. He was invited to a party, a dinner party by this Pharisee guy. And um, you all have probably been invited to dinner before somewhere, right? You guys all been to dinner somewhere? A friend invites you over? Normally when you go to your friend's house for dinner and you walk in the door, uh, they're kind of, there's probably a greeting, right? They say, hello, how you doing? Maybe they turn off the TV so they can talk with you a little bit, um, give you a glass of water, something to drink. That's pretty, pretty normal, right? Right? Yeah. We're with each other here then. So that's good. So you walk into the house and that's what happens. And this time and in this place and in this culture, Three things should have happened as Jesus walked into this dinner party. Um, and this is culturally kind of the way things should go. Um, just like we have cultural norms, they had cultural norms. And Jesus mentions them later on. So he should have got a kiss, he should have got some water, and he should have got some oil. Remember later on in the story, Jesus talks about this. He's like, you gave me nothing. So this guy, from the beginning of the story, is a jerk. He is. I mean... So Jesus walks into his house, and again, Jesus is, he's a known teacher at this point. So if you walk in, if you invited a teacher or a guest of honor over to your house at this point, uh, the host of the house should have actually got down because Jesus was this guest of honor, this notable teacher. Um, he, he would have got down and actually kissed him on the hand. That would have been normal. So he didn't do that, though. Again, Simon... Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Simon in this story. He's kind of mean to Jesus. So he, Jesus gets no kiss on the hand. Uh, if it's a friend, you just have a friend over to your house, he would give him a kiss on the cheek, kind of like, you know, like, hey, it's good to see you, that sort of thing. Do we do that here? Kiss, greeting kiss? Um, sometimes. You guys are weird kissing each other. Whew. Okay, so that would have been normal, though, at the time. It would have been normal to get a little kiss on the cheek and greet your guests. Like, that's normal. Jesus gets no kiss. And the other kind of neat thing about this is whenever it's a, a guest of honor and this is a Pharisee, he's kind of um, probably well-to-do, they have tables kind of in a front patio um, in front of their houses. Low tables, because they didn't sit in chairs, they would sit on the ground with some pillows. And these tables are called tricliniums. They're super long tables. They can seat a lot of people. And, out, and outside of that patio would be like a little wall, probably about knee to thigh high. And what would happen is people would gather around to hear what was being said at this dinner party. Because they want to, this is like kind of how teachings got spread, and this was very super common in this culture. Uh, they're having a guest over. Remember the woman in the story, she heard that he was going to the house, so she shows up at the house. She's probably on the outside of a little gate. Think of a white picket fence in our, you know, our culture. And she's out there listening to the stories and listening to what this, this rabbi, this teacher is saying and hearing how the religious elite are interacting with this teacher named Jesus. Um, and so it would be super common for people to kind of come up and see and what's going on. And so Jesus is not just insulted by Simon, this Pharisee. He's publicly insulted. There are people watching all this unfold and happen, and Jesus gets no kiss. And then you move. I'm with you. That's rude. So... If you go on to the next part, he doesn't get any water either. Again, if he's an honored guest, if he is this, this teacher that he is, the host of the house would get down on his knees and wash Jesus' feet. The, the host would do that just to show honor and respect to this teacher. He would wash his feet. Um, Simon, ungrateful guy, uh, again, trying to publicly humiliate Jesus. He doesn't wash his feet. 
if, if Jesus were just his equal, if they were just friends, Simon would have his servant come and wash Jesus' feet. But no servant comes and washes Jesus' feet. Uh, if he was just particularly lazy, he would just give Jesus a bowl of water and let him wash his own feet. But he doesn't give Jesus even any water for his feet. And then lastly is the oil that I was talking about. This is um, the Middle East. This is where they're at. It's hot and sweaty, kind of like El Cajon if you've ever been there. Um, you know, it's, it's a hot place. Uh, you get a little sweaty, maybe like we are in here. It's nice to have a fan. Uh, in their time, they would give you some oil. You rub a little bit on your head, maybe a little here, you know, freshen up the dinner a little bit. And Jesus gets no oil. So right from the beginning in verse 36, we're seeing that there is tension in the room. Um, Jesus is being publicly humiliated. He, he's invited, he's an invited guest to this guy Simon's house. And he's, he's disrespected. No kiss, no water, no oil. So that's kind of, that's the scene. That's where we're at. Uh, let's look at verse 38. It says, um, I'm sorry, 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And now let's look at this, this woman for a moment, because now we have a new character. We've got Simon, we've got Jesus, we've got the scene, and now all of a sudden this woman shows up. And again, this isn't random. She heard there was a party. It's normal when there's parties to go and watch the events unfold, to see what's happening. So she goes to the party and, um, that she wasn't invited to, and we learn a couple things about the woman. It says that she was a woman of the city, and she was a sinner. So, translation, she's a prostitute. Now, just come with me for a moment here. Let's think about this, because as you're a little girl, or even an older woman, no one has the aspirations to be a, prost a prostitute. You don't grow up thinking, you know what, I'm going to be a prostitute. You, we don't think that way. Even as sexy as porn can be these days, and we have porn stars, you probably don't aspire to be that when you're young. And so let, just enter in with me for this, to think about this woman for a moment. Um, most likely, there's a couple ways that you would end up like this. And one is this woman may have been rejected by her husband. Um, whatever reason, guy was like Simon, he's a jerk, and uh, decides to divorce his wife, and now this is the only thing that she can do to make money and kind of survive and eat in this time. She's going to be a prostitute. This isn't like today. She can't go, she, she's not a high power executive woman. That's not how things worked back then. She didn't have an option. So she may have been rejected by her husband and this is what she had to do now. Now remember, um, today we're gathered around the wall listening to the story. And so I just want you guys to think for a moment about rejection in your life. In your mind, think about what you felt, rejection and pain in your life. And I just want to just challenge you and encourage you to just take that, whatever is going through your head, and just put it on the table for a moment. Just put it on the table, and let's invite Jesus to have an interaction with you this morning and maybe the rejection that you felt. Let's say that's not it, though. Maybe she wasn't rejected by her husband, and we don't really know. We're kind of, I'm kind of speculating here. I'm just throwing some ideas out. 
Another super common way um, is maybe she just got hard-hearted. Maybe over the course of her life, she, her heart got hard towards God and towards life because life is difficult and life is challenging and life is full of pain and suffering. Um, that's, we're there. I think we, we've all experienced that. We, I mean, Zach brought a reality of what's happening in the Middle East today. These are realities. Life is difficult and challenging. And maybe her heart just got hard and she said, you know what? I'm just going to do this because it's, I can make money doing it. And so I want you to identify with the story, identify with these people, and realize that God wants to speak to us today. And I just want to challenge you to take your hard-heartedness, wherever you're hard in your heart towards God today, just, just take that and just put it on the table. What are you hard-hearted about this morning? You, somebody walked in here this morning and they're hard in heart towards God. Put it on the table. Just put it on the table and eventually we're going, to come, we're going to have an encounter with Jesus together. Another common way is war. Villages are sacked and pillaged, forced into, into prostitution was another way. Maybe um, she was abandoned as a baby. Uh, maybe she was sold by her parents into this. The point of the story is, is that this woman knows pain and rejection. She knows pain and rejection. In this society, in this time, um, there's not a single person who will welcome her, who will speak to her, or even acknowledge her presence. She's a prostitute. She's a woman of the city. She's a sinner. Uh, again, you walk down 28th Market, El Cajon Boulevard, and you see prostitutes in our city, in our time, you have your kids with you, you gather your children, you probably go to the other side of the street because I don't want to acknowledge, I don't want to deal with I don't want to interact with this woman. In some sense, we can, we can relate. You've had, we've probably all thought those thoughts, oh, um, no, we don't want to deal with that. She knows pain and rejection. One author wrote, and I think this is such a beautiful description, he says, in this society, no decent person will welcome her, speak to her, or acknowledge her. The only time doors open for this woman are at night and in secret, and in shame. When is she welcomed as a prostitute in this time, in this place? At night, and in secret, and in shame. And religious society has been clear to her, clear to her, there is no forgiveness for you. There's none. You've sinned too much. You've gone too far. There's no way that God can account for the magnitude and all the depths of the things that you do and have done on a daily basis. And can, you, can we identify? Can we deal? Can we put our stuff on the table and say, have you ever felt that way, that you've sinned too much, you've done too much, and God can't possibly, he can't possibly deal with you? One of my favorite authors writes that um, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. And no one is beyond the need of God's grace. You've never sinned so much that you're beyond the reach of God. And you've never, you're never so good that you're beyond your need for his goodness and grace. And that is reality. And so this woman, in verse 37, she hears that he's at a party and she goes. And why does she go to this party? Because maybe for the first time in her life, She's met someone, and Jesus has given her hope. 
She heard about this radical message of this radical guy who proclaims this radical God who is forgiving and loving and amazing. And at, maybe for the first time in her life, she's experiencing hope like there's, there's hope for me. Like maybe he can do something for me. Everyone has told me, no, my sins are too great. I've done too much. And then she comes across Jesus. She's captivated and blown away. I told Zach, <clears throat> I was going to pray this morning that I don't cry, because that's weird, you know? Like, I don't know any of you people. It'd be super weird for me to cry in front of you. So it's awkward for both of us. I'm going to try to refrain. Um, but man, she comes across Jesus, and she's like, God. <laughs> like, that's her response is God. So much so that she's willing to crash a dinner party that she's not invited to. Let's look at verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she begins to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, what just happened? <laughs> like, that's crazy, right? Like, she just created a scene. That's awkward. This woman came to a party that she wasn't invited to. She crashed the party, and she's just crying all over the place. Like, that's crazy, isn't it? This is a gnarly scene. And it doesn't make any sense unless we realize that she has come in contact with Jesus prior. She's heard him preach. She's heard his message. She's heard about this amazing God and how the kingdom of God has come upon them. And she's heard that there's forgiveness for her, even her. And she's blown away. And then she shows up to the party, and they're publicly humiliating him. They're disgracing her Lord and God. And she's like, no way, no way. This is not happening. So much so that she jumps the fence. Again, I'm assuming there's a fence. She jumps the fence, and she walks up to Jesus, and she just starts crying on his feet. Are you guys with me? Like, that's crazy. She went to a party that she was not invited to. She's a prostitute, a known sinner, and she crashed a Pharisee's party. Technically, they could kill her for this. This is bold love. This is radical. And it, the story at this point doesn't make any sense unless we realize that she has heard this life-transforming message of Jesus. Have any of you been changed by the gospel of God? Has it gripped you like, oh my God, like you would crash a dinner party and cry all over Jesus' feet? I'm with you. That's right. It's crazy. So, I mean, this is a gnarly scene. Um, let's see here. So the first thing that we see is that She's just weeping over his feet. And, and uh, another author that I love, he kind of describes the scene. And I just, again, I just kind of want to invite us to just, just come upon, just enter into the story a little bit. And she's, there's no explanation for what she does except that she, is, she, she knows Jesus. She's captivated by his love. And uh, I love how the guy says that one author writes that, she comes, and she's at his feet, and she's just, she's weeping profusely, so much so that she can wash his feet with her tears. That's how much she's crying. And he, and he kind of describes, just think about the moment for a second. A known prostitute, 
walks into a party that she's not invited to. She gets down by Jesus' feet. How long was she there for? Like, Jesus is here. She's down at his feet, just crying over him. And he describes the scene and says, at some point, she had to have looked up and made eye contact with Jesus. She, I mean, and maybe for the first time in her life, when she sees him, she doesn't see judgment. She doesn't see condemnation. She sees the love of a Savior. Maybe for the first time in her life. I like, think about that moment for her. <clears throat> Think about the things that you put on the table this morning, if you put anything, hopefully you did, and look into Jesus' eyes this morning. See him. Let him be tangible for you here. The Spirit of God is present and alive. He's king. He reigns. This is his world. He's doing all that he pleases. He's in absolute and total control. If you read through the Gospels, one of the most commonly attributed things to Jesus is it says that he sees the crowds or the multitudes, he sees them, and he has compassion for them. I just think that when this woman looked up in his eyes, she saw and felt the love of them. She felt that. She saw the compassion of a Savior. So she loses it and just, just wets his feet with her tears, and then... She does something else, because she doesn't stop there. It says that she wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with the hair of her head. And let's, just pa let's pause for a moment, and this is such a significant act. Because in, in order to wipe his feet with her hair, she needs to let her hair down. And this time and in this culture, it was very, very sexually charged for a woman to let her hair down in public. Um, we, there's second century um, rabbinical teaching that says if a woman, we find in lists and teachings in second century Judaism that if a woman were to let her hair down in public, it's the same offense as bathing naked with men. Okay, so that's some, so that, this is a big deal that she lets her hair down. And by the way, both of those were um, considered reasonable and maybe you should even divorce your wife for that. This is where we're at. This is normal. So, you know, again, we, we can't, we don't get that. But literally, she lets her hair down for Jesus. And again, another thing she could be killed for. Um, she's a prostitute. And um, just uh, one commentator describes the scene as, it's, she's making a statement. And she's saying that this is the last time I'm going to let my hair down for another man. That's not my husband. And she takes her hair after she's wept over his feet and dries them and cleans them with her hair. What bold love. Like, that's crazy. She literally cleaned his feet with her hair. And she made a statement before all of these religious Pharisees who have told her her whole life that you are not good enough, your sins are too great. And she announces before them that this Savior, this man, this Jesus, 
He says, I'm forgiven. And she wipes his feet with her hair. And then it says that she kissed them and anointed them with ointment. What a ridiculous act. Now, there's a couple things here. I think that normally we, we look at that and we go, oh my God, I want to be like this woman. I want to love like this woman loved. I want to treat Jesus the way she treated him. And we look at the woman and we go, look at the woman. Oh my God. Like we're so enthralled and we're so attracted to the woman and we want to live like the woman, right? Aren't we like, she is the hero, right? Do we feel that? We're like, oh my God, I wish I could live that way. But if you talked with the woman, she would never say, look at me, live like me, love the way that I have loved. She would never in a million years say that. You know what she would say? She would say, do you know him? Have you seen this Jesus? Look at him, be like him. Understand him. Come in contact with him. Spend time. She would point you to Jesus. Right? And we confuse this, and so many of us live our Christian lives, and we go, I need to work harder for God. I need to serve more for God. I need to give more to God. I need to be like the woman. And the overarching theme and story of the Bible is not do more for God, not be more for Jesus, not love better. It's recognize the depth of your love in Jesus. It's recognize what he has done for you. Not do more. See what he has done for you. And this couldn't be clearer in the parable that he tells. He unlocks the story, unlocks the scene, and listen to what he says. First you have Simon. And he says in verse 39, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him. She's a sinner. Look at Simon. Typical of a religious person these days. Judgmental, arrogant, condemning. You know any religious people like that? Are we ever religious people like that? I'm not, I'm not guiltless here. So there's this contrast. Look at Simon and, and how Simon describes her and, and this woman. If he knew who she was, he would never let her touch him. And then you see Jesus' response. So you have this, just this black and white contrasted difference between how Jesus sees the woman and how this Pharisee sees the woman. In verse 39... And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he, and he said, and he answered, say it, teacher. And he tells this story, this parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which one will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose 
for whom he canceled the larger debt, and he said to him, you have judged rightly. So what does Jesus do? He tells a story. He tells a parable. And he says, there's two guys. They both owe, and they both cannot pay. And then what does he say? He forgave the debt of both. Do, do, you, do we see the order? We got to catch the order, brothers and sisters. We got to catch the order. The order is first forgiven and then an expression of love. So today, my challenge, my encouragement is not go and love better, go and do more, go and be better Christians. It's recognize the depth of your forgiveness in God, in the person and work of Jesus, and you will. You can't help but be transformed just like the woman. It's not be like the woman. She's not the hero. She is here to point us to the hero, to Jesus, who has canceled our debt. To this woman, if you're here and you put things on the table, it's recognize the depth of your forgiveness. If you're here this morning, the challenge I said at the beginning was not how sinful are you, but how aware of your sin are you? And, and it's to run with your sin to your Savior who can and will and desires to forgive and love us. This is the gospel of God. It is good news. This is what we proclaim. This is why we live the way that we do. It's because it's captivating and it changes us. And our God is amazing. And he changed this woman's life. And he can and will and wants to do the same for us today. In verse 44, this is one of my most favorite interactions in the Bible. Verse 44. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, are you with me? He looks at the woman, probably at his feet still. He looks at the woman and he talks to Simon. He turns his back on the religious Pharisee leader, owner of the home, and he draws all of the attention in the room to the woman who has just wept over his feet. And he gives her dignity and value and she probably, at this point, like, just imagine, like, if he would have wanted to, he could have said, told Simon, get one of your servants and take her out of here. How dare she come to me and make a scene like this? And they, literally, they could have killed her. But that's not what Jesus does. He flips the whole thing around. He takes all of these religious people, all of these religious leaders. These are Pharisees, religious leaders of their time. He draws all the attention to the prostitute woman on the ground crying before everybody. And he talks to the Pharisee with his back to him. That is crazy. That is so like, you need to see what I see. You need to love like I love. You need to see this woman for who she is, a cherished and beloved daughter of the king. Yeah? He draws all the attention to the woman. What a gnarly scene this is. 
And then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. How do we know? How do we know that her sins, which are many, are forgiven? What does he say right after that? How do we know she's forgiven? Because she loved much. Look at the parable that he told. First comes forgiveness, and then comes love. How do we know that she's had an encounter with the living God, Jesus, who proclaimed the most amazing message? How do we know that she's forgiven? How do we know? Look at the way she loved. Are you guys with me this morning? Hopefully we're, we're captivated by the Savior. We're having, a, we're having contact with the Savior this morning, the living God, and we're reminded of the depth of our forgiveness, and we are compelled to go out into a hurting, broken world and love them because they need it, and there's pain all around us. And this is how Jesus feels to the world. This is his posture. I love all, I mean, I love all the stories in the gospel. Think about the prodigal son story. What's, one of the, what's the heartbeat of that story? My buddy Mike and I are going through a book right now, Prodigal God by Tim Keller. What's the heartbeat of the story that the father who represents God pursues his kids? He pursues his children. He, when he sees the younger son, it says from a distance, he runs to him. He runs to the younger son. He pursues us. And even the older son in the story, the older son, the, the religious son who won't go inside the party, who refuses to celebrate the lost son who has been brought back and restored, what does the father do with the older religious son? He leaves the party and goes outside to talk with him and reach his older son. You see, God, if you're here this morning, you relate more to Simon the Pharisee this morning, and your heart is hard, and you think you haven't sinned a whole bunch, and you just need God a little bit, I want you to see that both sins are forgiven. Both debts are canceled. Religious, you think you're not that bad. Prostitute, you know you are desperate. God is in pursuit of both of us. Religious, non-religious. But we have to get the order. We have to. Verse 49, then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I don't know how long this dinner party lasted. Probably not, maybe 15 minutes. I don't know how long that scene was. And I don't know how long we've been journeying with Jesus. Some of us might be new. We're, 
We're just getting introduced to Jesus. And I just want to share with us and remind us of the depth of a God who suffered in our place for our sins. Who bore our penalty on the cross. Who took away all of our shame and all of our guilt. Who clothed us with his righteousness. Over and over again, the Bible talks about the perfections of Jesus, the perfect man, never sinned, never did anything wrong. And it's that righteousness that he offers to us. So when the Father looks down at us, he doesn't see the prostitute version of ourselves. He sees the righteousness of his Son. At the same time, I want you to realize which version of you he loves. Which version of you is God in pursuit of this morning? And it's not the pretty polished you. It's not the you in nice khakis and a button-up shirt. It is the prostitute version of yourself. It is you at your lowest. It is you at your most broken and vulnerable that you have a God who loves and pursues you just like this woman. same time, maybe you've been journeying with Jesus for a long time. Maybe, like the Pharisee, you grew up in a religious, maybe even Christian home. You memorized Bible verses. You went to Bible camps. Um, you know the stories. You're like that Pharisee, religious one. The challenge to you is you could be in a dangerous place. Because the woman in the story, the prostitute, knows that she needs forgiveness. She knows the depth of her sinfulness. Simon was blind. It didn't dawn on him, with all his religious knowledge and all his Bible trivia and sword drills or whatever you want to call them. I didn't, do, I didn't grow up as a Christian, so I heard they did that in Christian camps. But if you're Simon this morning, you identify with Simon, you're that religious person, and you've walked with God for a long time, maybe this morning you're realizing that it is not your religiosity that gives you any standing before the Father. It is grace alone and Christ alone by faith alone. That we, we stand before God, whether sinner or Pharisee, failure or Pharisee in the righteousness of Christ alone. And so, with your mind on the things that maybe you put on the table this morning, I want to encourage you to come to the table and partake in communion. Come up together as the family of God and your DNA groups and your gospel communities with your friends, with your families. And remember, it's what the supper, the Lord's Supper is all about. It's remembering everything that we just talked about this morning. The grace of God offered in Jesus, who did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Who initiates, who pursues, and who loves. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Encourage you to take a moment, come get the elements and gospel one another's 
proclaim and remind one another of the goodness of God in Jesus, that you can't out-sin His grace. Um, so let me invite you guys, the worship team, come on up. I think we'll probably play some songs. And, uh, and if you're new here and you're not a believer, you don't know.